before we do that, sorry, um, Max, uh, just give us a quick intro, like maybe like 20, 30 seconds, and then yeah, we'll just deep into it. Yeah, sure. Um, so met uh, Garland through my buddy Dave, and uh, you know we had a good conversation the other day. My story is I've been in crypto since about 2014. At that time, I was I was pretty young, and I had gone to I believe it was like a consensus event where I like met Vitalik and these these guys, um, like the you know the founders of Ripple, uh, early on in my career. But I didn't really get serious until years later. And then, you know, more, more recently, I made a really series of trades that, you know, turned out pretty well. Uh, buying in a board ape at around 7.5 and then seeing on through the chain data that there were all these really early NFTs um, that, you know, were the first of their kind, I guess, on Ethereum. And, you know, just I just kind of saw a really big opportunity there. So I shifted a lot out of crypto into these early NFTs. And, you know, one of them hit, which was the Ether Rock. And that was, you know, a pretty fun experience. But then, you know, it really just it, it was it was a pretty crazy moment where uh, I hadn't seen that kind of energy in the room like I saw with historical NFTs since 2014 and these these early I guess, pockets of like really kind of crypto native people who had, um, you know, were innovators and, and people who had been there for a while. You know, I think I think that's the big thing with NFTs is is the networking that has taken place uh, through some of these groups and our ability to parse the Internet has really just levered us up um, in a whole new direction within you know, a short amount of time, I was meeting guys like Arthur Hayes, uh, you know, the founder of Hedera Hashgraph. These were all guys who I had met through the rock group, uh, Meltem, you know, other all these other big names. And it really just launched my professional career by having this kind of tr- this you know, level of trust, with, you know, with all these people, um, just just by the fact that, you know, when somebody owned something that was a historical asset that was so expensive you know you had a barrier where um the fine like you know it's very hard to tell whether somebody is legit or not online so having an nft that's of extremely high value is 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 one of the best indicators we have to verify that somebody's legitimate whether they've been in the space for a very long time or you know they were successful in their career so you know, I think I think that's what you know mainly I've been up to lately, other than just my you know typical DeFi, crypto uh, activities, I guess. Yeah, dude, sounds good. Um, yeah, I think yeah, I got a little bit of uh, your like story when we when we had a call about like yeah, your NFT journey and stuff. But yeah, definitely um, happy to kind of like delve in more. Um, Luke, why don't you kind of start us off with the agenda today, and then um, we'll just take it from there. Yeah. Um, I think uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about today, uh, I thought we were having on Food Farmer today, though, so my bad, was uh, farm as a service. But um, we can push that back to tomorrow. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about was FTX, uh launch support for Arbitrum. Uh, 
uh, for the Ethereum network. So uh, hopefully we might see some more um, right. Does that mean like yeah, like you don't have to like bridge in and out? Like FTX becomes a bridge. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so mm. you could withdraw directly to your wallet from FTX. Yeah, that's really big. Yeah. Um, Almost like they bullish on magic. <laughs> yeah, we've been seeing some of some of the stuff. Um, like uh utility around nfts like uh some sort of farming or lending these kind of stuff are a lot of it is happening on arbitrum um uh with bridge world now actually being live and um maybe like uh max do you have more like insights on that like um like where this direction is going and kind of which nfts uh maybe infrastructure wise could bring um kind of actual utility for um some of the current collectibles you know i think i think the objective of bringing utility is such a broad statement to make right like it's you know you kind of know with you know what nfts are they're just an accounting system um but i think for for the more than like the actual utility i think like starting your business so that you can like put your organization in place so that you can start building things that actually provide value. Um, Treasure.lol, you know, the whole magic way of doing things was really an amazing uh, showcase of, you know, how you build a business in Web3. The fact that they took these really strong communities and, you know, they haven't built out, you know, the fully fleshed version of utility yet, but they're saying, we're going to build utility on your assets. Uh, we're going to let you stake on our, you know, your loot. And they, they usurped the end and loot communities and turned it into this organization that's, you know, grown so drastically to now making their own metaverses and having all these people locking up funds. So that, you know, is similar looks rare. It's like you just kind of drop incentives on communities to get you know your uh, to be your first supporters and then you you gain value you know after after the fact so i, I thought that the, the whole magic thing was really impressive and and arbitrum being on ftx i it, to me it's a very bullish signal i think for for magic because it's kind of one of those like really it, it, they just have so many supporters that, like they did really everything correctly i think after loot and grabbing the loot and end communities I see DAOs being formed um, just like parallel DAO uh, to get ready to like, you know, guilds being formed so that people can band together and try to maximize their com competition within the, you know, the game five verse that magic is building out. Uh, I, I think there were some really good points there um, that you, you pointed out um, both us, you know, the, rough kind of utility wise like there's you know lending of nfts which nobody really have um a lot of people are exploring um but there's also kind of um using those nfts um depositing them into some sort of staking mechanism where there's more um interactivity people can battle with each other that's kind of another utility but both of these um as well as the launch process that you mentioned for magic like all of these 
have the same similarity of tapping into these existing, you know, collectible um, user bases as growth hacking. And that's that's a really good point, I think. Yeah, I, I saw the lending platforms are like, they, you know, they're they're coming out. It just it, it it's going to take some time for us to get there and like these assets to actually start being lended and being used. One because you know I didn't I didn't partake in the you know I should have been farming my magic, but you know just the message alone that when you went to Treasure.Lol in the early days and it showed you, um, you know, give permission to spend all your assets or whatever. Just reading that on MetaMask. It doesn't make you feel too comfortable about trusting a random contract to stake it, um, you know, giving giving that protocol the ability to spend your assets. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's it's I think we we have some way we have some ways to go there. Plus, it's it, you know, the market is still there's too many issues and the, and the utility there is like, you know, sure, we, we can get people to buy it. But can you really, you know, create the infrastructure for people to start renting this stuff? um axis you know obviously been able to do it but um you know how many how many companies can actually like you know create a product like that and then you know raise capital in, in a short amount of time to to get the rental market really flowing i'm not i don't really see it taking off for a, quite a while honestly um i th- yeah it's definitely nothing's out there yet but i, I think this is one trend that's pretty quickly developing um i think i just saw this uh seed round close today with um this thing called like rare fund or something it's um it's like you can it's a little bit similar to magic where you can put existing collectibles and kind of battle each other um and then uh, there's obviously jpeg which i'm I'm sure you you've been familiar with um they support rocks as well and um mm. and then um Zudao is another one they're also like doing um some battling stuff to bring game five functionality around it but yeah the specific lending kind of uh process like i don't know how that would look um to be honest like what about the custody of the collectibles and and um where do you get the liquidity there's a lot of questions to be asked but um i i do see this as definitely a right direction in nfts like in comparison to last nft hype cycle like last year um which was pure profile pictures this time around at least people are thinking in the right direction to um use the money that they raised through these sales and then do something with it um a little bit similar to DeFi. yeah that's true we, i mean we do need the liquidity for sure and I feel like, yeah, like crypto has a tendency to kind of like go overboard with the um, kind of like new ideas and use cases um, when like a new hype cycle, new narrative cycle comes out, um, you know, especially like around uh, like also DeFi. Like I, I remember seeing, you know, like other than like the major kind of like narratives, like, you know, um, yield farming and stuff like you know people started doing I, I honestly don't know what the traction is for like guys like Pendle or um, uh, yeah like some of these things um, like derivative on derivatives and it's just like you know like just forever kind of like going to that rabbit hole and like 
coming up with like infinite use cases. Um, I yeah, like I feel like the lending market might be a little too early. Um, as with like a lot of other things that are out there. Um, especially when like NFT asset class hasn't really solidified itself, other than maybe some of the blue chips, right? So that's why I feel like yeah, like a lot of these are a little little early, yeah, in terms of maybe maybe a lot early, um, depending on how you see the time horizon. But yeah, yeah, I mean, like that's definitely like things to watch out for when you know, like investing in things like that, because like uh, you know, crypto just has that tendency to kind of like go overboard um, when it when it starts like taking ideas and you know um, doing these use cases. Yeah. No, I think the DeFi example is great because it's like, dude, there are like three blue chips out there, quote unquote, right? Like, you know, or like you have like a handful really that you can c- consistently call it. I like I like the historical ones because you're never going to change that on date of them being early. But then the top projects, there's so much pressure on them to like build out a game. Uh, and it's going to make them move a lot slower to actually, you know, bringing in those DeFi elements. So what you have is, a lot of games playing GameFi stuff, um, but it's a similar. The GameFi, what's happening in GameFi right now is, is is very similar to a year ago when we were on Binance Smart Chain and Yield Farms were popping up every every day, new project, new whatever. Then you got the you know the lending protocols, which is kind of like the convex, you know, governance on governance on governance. And I see it as a way right now where it's like okay somebody overextended nfts or um wants to get an F- nft that they like for a good price but it's not like in that tradable kind of category just because you know you got the blue chips with without the utility it's going to take a while for them to get it and then you have the younger ones with utility but we don't really know what the kind of tokenomics for a for a gaming ecosystem really looks like we have to kind of there has to be a lot more trial and error there um, to, to see it work, you know, and even in DeFi, it's like we finally, you know, the Olympus thing is still relatively new, this idea of a protocol owning their own liquidity. So we, you know, there's, we're in this, in this still, you know, nation stage where we're trying to innovate, um, copy and, and scrap things together. It's just, there's a lot of factors that make it so interesting, I think. Yeah. It- I think um, another like something that you said uh, with the current game fight around NFTs being similar to um, early DeFi is is a lot of the yield is still just kind of people trying these experiments and other people getting excited and wanting their token which has not even a, a proven game or even a proven like token model within the game and and it's just people. Um, farming and and seeing what works and getting a piece of pie for everything but uh, i hope that soon like at some point there's going to be a view that um, a few models that like becomes useful and and can stick around um i think we'll see that this year i'm yeah i'm actually bullish because like the thing that nfts are doing is they're bringing identity into the game so the problem with yield farms is everyone just leaves when it's not profitable um, the identity that people have in the person-to-person relationships are more conducive of actually constructing organization because DAOs in general are just way too disorganized to actually get anything done. You know, in order to have a business, you need that kind of hierarchy and division of roles. 
and, and, and be in the room with some people in a sense. So like, you know, my, my friend always says like, you know, you never get excited about owning IBM stock, which I always thought was funny, but you get excited about owning an NFT. And, and this, just the, even this concept where that simple concept where you, if, if you sell your last NFT, you no longer can join that group chat. And it, it, you know, that FOMO of not being able to be there with those people that you connect with, um, you know, forces you to at least hold a little stake in something. And, you know, and through, through that, collectible i you know the dow you know we've seen the dow movement take off like very recently we've seen all these dows come together um you know some better than others you know whatever but it's really adding uh that that dow layer they're connecting with foundations and companies and we're actually starting to see a lot better builds come out as well so it's not i don't really have a negative view on it just that um there are there are pockets of it i think that we can we can purport to what happened you know a year ago uh, but i think it's it's happening in a better way now where where people are more and then then you also have what's what's nice as well is you have a lot more activity on twitter and one of the things that i love that's coming out in the space right now is the accountability factor like seeing the time wonderland thing play out in front of the eyes i think that's a really interesting concept because you know young journalists who want to grow their following everyone wants to grow their following on twitter so that they can have more of an impact and and have more followers and and people can follow them with their trades and whatnot um the journalists who go in and look at that on-chain data and and prescribe accountability to the founders of these projects um they they get they get more views by just by covering it so it, there, there are a lot of there's a lot of incentive for people to whistleblow and, and make the space a little better. I think it'll continue to be rocky, but um, the DAO formation and this identity concept playing around with this, this you know newer sense of accountability, like I noticed on EtherScan, like you can me- directly message people from their Ethereum address um, and start a chat room. So I that you know th- those accountability and identity is just gonna make it make it a much stronger movement um towards the future and we're definitely heading in the right direction yeah that's true um i also want to ask yeah like because uh, like um i do want to get into more deeply into nft and like kind of your, your outlook um there's like always two questions that i'm wondering about um one is like just in terms of like nfts um you know like obviously there are some that are super successful and then like some that are you know not as successful uh the thing majority it just kind of like flop and fail um i think we asked this question before um on the on, on like the this like space before and i think one of the interesting answer that we got is like you know the ability to kind of show the roadmap the ability for the community to kind of build uh, i mean like get people invested in choosing their nfts and like actually like spending time to you know so that they're like more attached to it right um i think that was one of the things that i thought was really interesting um in terms of like the more successful ones and you know the less successful ones but yeah like wondering if you you've kind of like seen you know like which nfts um and like the early signs and you know like um yeah like 
some of the things that you've seen on uh, the NFTs that go viral versus doesn't go as viral? Uh, I think it's, you know, you're, I, I think the best book, honestly, to read when, when you're thinking about like what hits and what doesn't is this book hit makers by Derek Thompson, right? Um, you can't always time a hit, right? If you look at, uh, you know, they're, and they're, they're, but they're, he kind of breaks it down very scientifically on how a hit is made and how things pass. Well, I mean, one of the main things is, is obviously, uh, your broadcast stream, uh, your, you know, your ability to get, get the stuff out there. There's, there's just the consistent, you know, marketing, um, is our, who's buying it both on, you know, on chain evidence of who's kind of buying up the supply and holding it. Um, and who's, you know, who's doing it on Twitter, uh, in the NFT sector, I think there are, there are kind of, a, there are a couple factions, one being kind of the normal side and the one kind of being the heavier DeFi side. So markets will tend to move without too much Twitter interaction if a couple of the most followed wallets are, are picking the stuff up and if it, or, or they might be, you know, be being shilled by some, you know, influencer with a lot of followers. I, I, I think that, you know, for a lot of projects, it's, there's, there's so much marketing to keep up with the hype because the value has vastly outpaced what any team could, could possibly organize and accomplish you know, within a short time span. Um, so it's, 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 it's hard to say like, what you know, whether, you know, what projects are doing right. But from a brand, from a branding perspective, you know, it really, it really comes down to, you know, the, it, the same, I guess, you know, metrics that any successful brand um, kind of does to, to get to their, to their level of uh, notoriety. Right. If we look at things like off white, things like, you know, Supreme and, 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 and you, you know, you follow closely to their story, you know, there was a switch, you know, somewhere that, that turned on um, similar to the, you know, board apes and how that, that switch turned on. Um, yeah. And board apes is like, I, I feel like board is, is the exception, not the rule. Cause it, they're, they're so, you know, like it's it just like when, off when all these celebrities started adopting it right and they had this like comparison against punks and like the flipping basically like kind of like catapulted them up to you know like the the i guess like nfts of of the of the of, of the season yeah just wondering like you know because like i remember like mechaverse and like a lot of these like really hyped nft launches that ended up you know not doing as well and then you know like me bits i think was another one you know like I, I remember the squigglies like the the rainbow squiggles you know like a lot of these like insanely hyped and insanely expensive nfts like just didn't really end up going there whereas like you know, like some of these, um, I don't know, like fluffs, I, I've seen them like kind of pop up. Um, you know, like there are some NFTs that seem like they're similar, but they're just doing so much better with like less community numbers. And I always wondered like why that was the case. Well, there's, but, there's, yeah. there's market manipulators, right? Um, 
there's I and I think that the community is 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 con, it's always constituent of the people. You know, your community is also where you're going to be picking builders from for your project. Like you want successful people. You know, the board apes have achieved that level of being like this kind of streetwear brand, but also you have so many celebrities in there. The power within the group is amazing. Like I was mentioning with the Ether Rocks before, you know, the reason they they've maintained that high value of prices because the people in there, you know, it's a small group. They know each other and they're all, you know, really valuable individuals. Uh, with a lot of those projects that I think it comes down to the marketing and what target they're marketing, which is like, you know, people who might not be in the space as long, um, because then you don't really have enough crypto natives in that project to really actually build it out. And, and um, you know, these all these projects need to expand in order to, you know, actually meet the demand of, of what their vested their vested interest, you know, whether it's a hundred million dollars vested interest looks like. Right. Um, and, and anyone who's, you know, been in the entrepreneurship space knows how many companies raise a couple million dollars and go bust. Right. It's like all the time, you know, so the quick cat, you know, they come too fast on the marketing or they come too, you know, too quickly on releasing the NFT without recognizing the hell they're about to undergo. Um, and and I I think with gaming is you know there's there's so many analogies you can make, but I I also put it in similar to you know when you're looking at at products like this, looking at gaming history and how how video games have been created, when when Fallout seventy six came out, you had uh, this overhyped game, overhyped, 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 and. As soon as bugs started happening, everyone just started getting so mad at Bethesda for 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 releasing something. Um, you know, we we moved from this era of what was a, a, a you know an innovative thing where we uh, drop something in beta and then we patch it over time to just now being perpetually in beta. And then now in NFTs, it's like pre-beta we're we're getting people to spend all this money before anything's even solidified. So I, I don't know if that answers the question, but it's, <laughs> I think there are a lot of ways. No, I like that. I, I, no, I think like basically like what I got from that was like, it's like the team's ability to kind of like maintain, not just launch. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like, you know, like good example of that is like might be Mechaverse. It's just like their, their ability to kind of like launch was like, you know, amazing but their ability to maintain was like what was like a little bit lacking. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. yeah. Yeah. So I think that's good. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, like that's like, uh, that's a question that I had. Like I, I always ask, try to ask this question so that I can understand like NFT space a lot, lot more. Um, anything else that you want to talk about in terms of like the NFTs, like maybe some of the trends that are going on, um, some of the things that you're looking at, um, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll throw my shill into historical NFTs because my friend Leonidas, who uh, has been popping off since the Crypto Skulls thing, uh, he, you know, he found, I guess he refound the contract, minted a bunch of skulls, and Gary V, you know, jumped in the room, and that's why the skulls popped off. And now, oh, really? All, yeah, they're going all in on historical NFTs because it's a really simple narrative that's just like 
Um, yeah, I remember you talking about this. Yeah, because the supply is very capped, right? Supply is very capped. There's more projects yeah. being launched any given day than there were back then. And if you're looking for a big winner that you can kind of play, just, I, you know, with the clavicles market, I like to play by the date. Um, you know, other than other than that, I, in the GameFi space, closer to the DeFi stuff, I, I really like the DeFi Kingdoms model. I like how that they're doing expansion to Avalanche. Um, I think they're really embracing the concepts of crypto in what they're doing um, as they kind of build out their game and, and sticking to it. And I really like what World Wide Web has done, Hacker.eth, uh, in just the fact that he, you know, they made a simple 2D project. They presented utility for other nfts and you know they you know they got their winnings in the, in the same way that magic um came to fruition you know there's there's tons of opportunities for builders they're, they're all going about it the wrong way in my opinion trying to start some random collection uh that nobody cares about and people are just buying for hype thinking that the price will go up um the reality is there are plenty of communities out there with all these kinds of people invested and if your goal was to create utility in between those things, uh, you know, there's plenty of space for you through that. And you don't you, you can build something in collaboration with others as opposed to uh, trying to compete in the market. Right, right. Um, for I guess like, yeah, like for historical NFTs, like what are you currently looking at? And like well, which ones are... Which one? Realms of Ether got grabbed today. It was like one of the first game fight things. I have yet to I actually still want to buy one, but you know, I, I've been talking to these developers, right? So I talked to the developer of Pixel Maps, Ken, who's still working on his project, right? Um, I you know, I offered him some help and you know, see if he needs some developers or whatever. A lot of these guys are still here shepherding their projects, and they were early innovators in the space. Um, and 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 they're and they're NFTs, I think, are more resilient on prices than any other asset uh, that you would see. That's that's kind of more of just a, you know, a gamble. I would say. Um, so there's the there's that 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 side on the historics, and and I think a lot of those developers are still active. I think that IKB and Mitchell F. Chan's work still is an amazing piece for anyone who's like exploring the historical NFTs to look at, because I really think that his work. Um, defines this the NFT space as a whole, just this idea of the art of nothing and what we're buying into. And then outside of historical NFTs, I, I, I've been watching what's going on with Parallel. I'm part of the Paragons DAO. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they're dealing with the fact that their valuation is so high and they're trying to launch this card game. Um, now they're trying to like you know throw ideas around of FPS games coming out using utilizing those assets and whatnot. So, I I, I I think that a lot of these games you know you're you know you stick close to the teams you know as as a piece of advice is like you you look closely to the teams and the the type of people that are backing them and look at it from a VC angle when you're when you're investing in NFTs um, because it's very hard to pick a brand. You know, um, you got to see the people behind the brand too. I think parallel, yeah, I, some interesting stuff. I, I think that's like the hardest thing, especially like the. the, the I do feel like the, a lot of the founders get kind of like buried within, and we've been trying to, you know, like do 
more founder focused kind of like you know um due diligence when when we're like picking our investments right wondering like if is there like a thing that you're looking at um when you're looking at founders it, well basically i think like you know the best <laughs> the best way to tell a founder is if you've been through i think hell yourself you know you've you've went through that <laughs> route of launching yeah. a token and like you you can right. really test the metal of somebody um and you can kind of get a sizable look at you know what their what their past is i think you know in general founders you actually want to look for scars um and you want to you want to see somebody who has reacted well under the pressure or didn't abandon ship under the pressure because that's like that's like that's key and then you know really really understanding the tokenomics side is so important i mean these guys like tetranode um you know, I was watching his up only podcast. They're they're hard to come by. So as many AAA game developers as they might have, uh, in order to capture the money fast in this ecosystem, you need to you know be very well off on the on the DeFi side of things. And I, you know, I think I think that it would be you know foolish to to look any other way when you're when you're looking at a team to to not make sure that they're kind of DeFi crypto skills are radically up to par more than uh, any other facet, you know, I think. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that, yeah. And it definitely gives, like, a good, like, a variety of, like, kind of, like, um, evaluation framework um, when we're, like, evaluating these. Um, yeah, I mean, like, does anyone else have, like, uh, anything else that, that they want to, like, kind of go through? I will say this, it's because everyone wants to get into crypto and crypto people are like scarce, you know, comparatively. So any project that does well and raises capital, like, you know, Board Ape, I think is a good example. It's like they, they can get the marketing. They can get all those infrastructure. Like people are dying to do that and are working for free for my company. It's like I get interns all the time that they want nothing more than the experience and the learn from me, you know. And and this is this is possibly true elsewhere. So I think though that that as far as that one metric, it's like look at look at their tokenomics and how how robust they are on the crypto side. Like look at the GitHub of the developers, right? Check check their their coding history. See what kind of contracts that they've dealt with, or or read in between the lines and see like okay, uh, you know this is his level of solidity experience. This is level of rust experience or whatever. And, and take it from that, that side, I think is, is always the better move to do. Nice. Yeah, I agree. So I, uh, I guess, I guess um, w when you're doing due diligence, um, like the, the clear parts that do have overlap with um, kind of more traditional crypto uh, projects is like, the team's dev experience, like what kind of um, tokenomics are there and what's the valuation uh, comparison and, and all that stuff. And this also applies to projects, uh, NFT projects with uh, a roadmap that um, outlines the whole platform, right? But um, is there anything that you look at when it's purely just, you know, very brand focused, art focused project? And, and what's how do you look at the ability of the teams to execute on the um i guess execute on on getting the attention 
and um, keeping up this brand because I always have a hard time. Like I, I can, and this always turns me off when it's um, when I'm choosing between NFTs. Like if there is no platform and no token to look at and not much dev aside from just a lot of BD in the brand side, I, I don't know what to look at. Right. Yeah, I, 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 you know, brands are brands are a, t- are a tough one, and art art is interesting too, right? Because art is a different market, um, you know, than than business, and and it's kind of like a lot less overhead. But I guess with the art market, I mean, coming from my mother being in, in the art background, there there are always certain players that will, you know, say that art is worth this much. But art is kind of more in that random like. If it hits, it hits, right? If it connects, it connects. And people always try to make all these different points about why art is was so dramatic, you know? Like, and I, it comes down to the people that are holding it, the people that are backing it, the people that are innovating on it, um, you know, within those communities. I, like, like the Mona Lisa is a great example in terms of art, right? Like, a lot of people will say, like, it's the most famous painting in the world because, oh, the way she looks at you or she's such a, you know, imprint on the mind. Well, the, the original story was that it got stolen from the Louvre. It was like a low-selling painting. And it was this guy was chased around the world, covered in all the newspapers. And then they finally got the painting back. So it had that moment of mass distribution at a time where, you know, the kind of stuff that we have, like TV, Internet, were not available and that's what led to the story and then it just kind of because of that it it, and that viral moment it kind of stood in history and became this extremely valuable piece of art uh, for that story um that that's something that's actually very insightful um because it it comes back to the provenance right it's even applies more towards nfts because they as long as Ethereum lives on, they live on forever. So, um, funny that you mentioned um, the, the uh, Mona Lisa because I I heard a similar story of um, Salvatore Mundi, uh, where um, they kind of exchanged hands so many times, and and um, at some point they were the the current you know the it's the highest auction off um, piece of artwork ever, right? And um, I. I at a certain point, it was uh, that piece was seen as fake, and um, but people still presented it and presented it as fake, but a very high quality fake. But later on, it got um, kind of properly appraised, and people recognized it as real. And so, and then it even exchanged hands a few more times, where the people that really know what they were doing, they got it for cheap. While the other guy that thought it was fake thought they sold it for a lot, and then the story just kind of went on, and it, it really um, made it what it is today. So that's actually interesting. I see, um, I see, rugged and have, has a Pepe in the uh, audience. The story of Pepe's is one of the most interesting narratives I think in NFT space in general, because Matt Fury is an artist. He's been heavy in the NFT space, and if you look at the pegs, which is I think his first big NFT drop. You know, the prices is pretty substantial for the floor of those. I forget. It was up to 50 at one point. It's probably lower now. But he's been active in the NFT space. And, you know, he's responsible for creating the original Pepe. Now, the Pepe uh, 
Nakamoto cards, which have been trading upwards of like 80 ETH, that have been sitting on Counterparty, and you know they went through the Emblem Vault so they could be on the Ethereum network. Um, you know those are not Matt Fury's designs, right? And he, for a, for a long time he'd been in like legal cases. I know there's a movie coming out, but you know that video of like the story of Matt Fury and the Pepe's, like those videos have like billions of, of views on YouTube even even before crypto and just how you know impressive an internet meme that was. So I think that that's one area to explore with, with what you were just talking about, which is that dichotomy of what's fake, what's real, what who owns it, you know, what's the story, whether code is law or not. Um, the recent, the recent, what we saw with V1, V1, Punks. V1 Punks, yeah, exactly. Like I should have bought. Those are so I interesting. Should have known it, and 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 it's it's a funny narrative to play. We know people will get mad, and it's, for some reason, like Larva Labs likes to get mad. A lot of devs like to get mad when people will just use their old contract but when the devs get mad it's just more of an incentive for people to just be like yeah we're we're buying this crap um because of because of the story it tells so i think that those stories are winners and you just you just buy both if you if you own both and you see something else like a v1 was there you just buy it um I, I feel like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you feel about Funks, because Funks really turned me off as they kind of were a derivative, but they claim to be, like, some angle that they are more, you know, um, pure and NFT and, you know, open open domain. But um, but Vivan Punks was actually there before the Punks, right? And even though it was a bug and people discovered it and... and um, I don't know that that story feels a little bit better, and um, well, that's why they shot up in value. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I think there's something to analyze there. Like when comparing projects, like will this one be successful versus that one? This is a good case of comparing their stories. Maybe Funks was great, though. You know, it's it's also the idea like where you know we live in this world where copyrights only last to your your country to your country. You know what I mean? It doesn't really matter, right? Like in China, they, they, they were, people will just start a business over there that, that copies another business. People do this all the time. Like um, that, insider trading, these are laws like where they try to enforce, but they can't really enforce, and it happens anyways. And people are kind of just going off that fact. Like there will be derivatives. There will be other projects. And if if people want to you know create a, a smaller community that that you know is active and says hey we we like this and we're we're gonna copy it um you know i think there are a lot of people that, that that stand by that logic which is like you know who cares right who cares about this this copyright stuff right um what, what does it really matter um that's why pepe like the nakamoto pepes are are still much higher in the floor price than uh matt fury's project maybe because they're earlier on on counterparty but it's 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 this uh it's it's also one of the the kind of initial thematic points of crypto right when i was in that blockchain meetup in 2014 you had anarchists and space pirates on one side and the bankers on the other side you know anarchy uh, is is inherent within an anonymity and all that stuff is a part of the crypto culture in such a major way. And I, you know, I think and I think with with my thought process and how I view it, it's like um, 
the people that are best equipped and the things that are always going to do the well are, are always the things that are most inherently um, at its core, you know, crypto stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's a really interesting point. Yeah. Like things that are, especially when people are trying to put value on things, I feel like, yeah, like they just go back to maybe like the foundation, which in crypto's case, like it's, it's, uh, it's the, you know, decentralization, it's the, um, I guess, like anonymity, you know, it's the freedom, whatever, right? And also, it's like, you know, people are trying to put value into, like, it's it's what you you said about, like, historical NFTs. It's just like, right now, no one has, like, that value framework for at least, like, not, like, a, you know, like, a not a mature value framework, right? So, when people are trying to put value into these things that, doesn't really you know have the mature value framework they they start putting value into things that are they know you know are applicable in the real world like time you know like you know how long has this nft existed or supply or is like how you know like how many are there right so i do agree that yeah it's like a these are some of the value frameworks that are starting to kind of pop up to, you know, mature these um, uh, NFT valuation as an asset class. Well, yeah, the, the, the supply is always funny to me, right? I always laugh at tokenomics because it's like at the end of the day, crypto is also a bunch of people trying to make money. And, and, and it, like you can see it, you can call it degeneracy. I mean, I, I partake in it. Absolutely. But part of it is also like looking at people who play slot machines all day and like you don't want to be those people. So like and, and, and I think that a lot of like sometimes the tokenomics and supply is just a it, it's a way to it's like not really a sense of trust or accountability in, in a project. But it's more of like trying to gamify it so that it's like a PVP kind of slot machine game where oh the tokenomics say this therefore i can't lose you know it's really not about that it's really about who's building it right and what are they gonna freaking do with it because you know all those things are like at the end of the day they're sustained ponzi's if, if you're relying too much on the tokenomics obviously you have to, you obviously have to do diligence on tokenomics to make sure that the distribution is fair but um you know they're missing they're missing the point and then you know, on the builder side, I will say this, like, because of the uh, attention you have by having a project out there in the open, you know, you're you're so much more susceptible, right? Like we've seen with Elon Musk and Tesla, how many times people try to short sell him into into failure, right? And how much how much harder that made him uh, it made him for to try to, you know, do things that were changing the world, etc. So you have to be wary of that concept because people will exploit that stuff. Uh, but it's not it's not like a solution to solve anything, right? You really have to be doing that plus building something that um, actually has a vision for scaling. And at the end of the day, you know, it's a people market, people, your customers, people are within the business. How, how are you going to take your supply stuff and, and, uh, your tokenomics and, and use that in a way to redistribute value in the correct way um, to keep the monetary flow, you know, cyclical, right? 
Yeah, yeah. No, it's a really good. I really like this conversation. I feel like it's like kind of solidifying a lot of the some of the um, investment thesis and you know like some of the value frameworks that we use as well. Um, with that, I do want to make sure that David gets chance to speak as well because uh um yeah like it would be a shame if yeah like if we just kind of like let him be um so like in terms of macro um yeah do, like we usually kind of like go over like all all kinds of stuff here um macro micro um like niche kind of stuff um like nfts and you know DeFi and game five but yeah, in terms of macro like uh, obviously like i really kind of rely on a lot of like the um david's um words and um what he's kind of thinking about so yeah david uh why don't you kind of come on board and like kind of let us know what, you, what you've been kind of seeing um and in terms of the traditional market and like how you're playing this market right now hey guys I guess when you know, it comes down to macro, I mean, nothing that is happening, I guess, like right now is too surprising. I think from a recap perspective, I think like back late last year, um, you know, there was a lot of taper scare, but, you know, markets weren't really pricing in the taper or the hike. And then as soon as markets started pricing that in, you know, late December and early January, that's when, you know, stocks started to fall. You know, Bitcoin already started to fall in November. And the markets is just basically following um, the macro at the end of the day when it comes down to equities. I guess Bitcoin has correlation, obviously, but even from an equities perspective, like the market, stock market just basically bounced when the market had already priced in four hikes uh, for this year. Uh, and this was basically kind of like mid end January, right around the time um, you had a, a couple of really disappointed earnings out of like, let's say, Amazon, Netflix. And then you saw uh, there's like a very famous hedge fund manager, um, Ackman. Uh, he's quite famous for also yeah, Bill buying, buying the crash um, during COVID crash, right? Yeah, and yeah, he yeah. basically bought in a billion dollars, or at least billion worth of Netflix at the yeah, bottom. Yeah, I remember, yeah, I remember seeing that, yeah. Yeah, and you know, again, when it comes down to a lot of these hedge fund managers, they're like the most well-connected guys, especially the guys who run like these huge funds. So, I mean, that kind of created a floor on NASDAQ stock prices, but that was around the same time that market had already priced in pretty much four hikes. Um, and this is something that you can look at, you can plug into Bloomberg and kind of take a look at. And that's kind of like around the same time that um, Bitcoin pretty much kind of started consolidating. And then now we're back at 45, right? Um, so I guess now kind of going forward, you know, markets priced in, you know, I guess everyone's looking at tomorrow uh, for the CPI numbers that happen. So I think everyone's expecting 7%, which means that I think if it's in line with expectations, you know, markets probably just kind of chill and kind of figure out like what's next uh, versus if it um, prints up, then, you know, stock market falls and, you know, Bitcoin might fall. Um, just because market was pricing in four hikes, and if inflation keeps on going higher, then markets will start to price in five hikes. Um, but 
I think, I, I don't know. I think there's been a lot of talk in regards to like what Bitcoin will do this year, um, considering the fact that, you know, macro and a lot of people think like the easy money is done, which might could be the case, right? Um, but at the same time, just because we don't print more doesn't mean we have to kind of have high interest rates, right? So, you know, for there's a lot of talk in the industry on the crypto side in regards to what market's going to do this year. Like I have a, I think a unique view in the industry. Um, most people think that Bitcoin either dies. So like basically stock market goes down then Bitcoin basically goes back to like 10 K. Like if, if like, let's say stock markets go down 15% because there's no more easy money. Um, so for myself, like I think, because I've always seen Bitcoin as like digital gold, right? And, you know, it's 10 years forward now and Bitcoin still correlates with S&P. It's kind of trades like a, a blue chip Nasdaq stock. And I think this is the year where it needs to kind of sell its narrative, right? Because you printed all the money and the inflation is here. Number two, gold holds like a rock, Right even when the markets corrected stocks, it didn't fall. So like, this is kind of like the perfect scenario where Bitcoin actually has a chance to um, be less correlated with um, equities. Um, and I think it's quite possible that this does happen, be only because on the institutional side, you have a lot of you know money that's sitting on the sidelines and they're trying to invest in non-correlated assets because you know even in a down market they need to kind of allocate capital so where do they put money in they used to put in bonds but bonds is kind of like in its own 30 40 year bubble cycle so i think if bitcoin bitcoin it's possible that i think maybe like this year um even if like let's say stocks go down like bitcoin kind of still holds its price so kind of like we'll see what happens but um I think that's kind of like what people are looking at from a macro standpoint on equity side. But more importantly, is kind of like it's I think this is the year that Bitcoin needs to kind of prove itself in in being basically digital gold or some other form of narrative other than everyone just kind of shilling it every year. And it just always disappoints every winter cycle. Um, so, I mean, again, for myself is I'm still long-term bullish and, you know, we'll just kind of read behind the lines. But again, I think there's a lot of good stuff that could happen this year. Um, so, um, I think a lot of the big companies in crypto saved up all their good news, um, to kind of announce starting, um, early February and last week of January. So if you notice like these early January, I mean, January and December, like there wasn't really that many good news, right? And then all of a sudden you have like this whole sweep of good news, right? So whether it's like, um, like recent was a KPMG, you know, uh, yeah, like, like yeah. I think some of the states want to put Bitcoin as legal tender. So that happened like the last week of January. So, you know, when it comes down to news cycles, it's very similar to like traditional markets. Like when they want corrections happen, they just don't announce the good news because it's just no point. So all of a sudden you have like this flood of good news, which means that, you know, maybe for the month of February, we have a pretty good, uh, a green month.
Um, but that kind of explains and that kind of, I guess, kind of when you, if there are people who trade, like I don't really trade that much anymore, but the people who do trade is like, that's why it doesn't really make sense to try to time or try to buy bottoms or tops. Cause usually it become like, usually like the, the cycles for rallies and pullbacks, it usually goes with a certain pattern, right? Just not technical analysis, but if you just read the news um, in regards to like when things get announced, there's like a system that gets followed, right? So then again, you know, we'll see kind of like what happens, but uh, I'm pretty optimistic. There's like $5 billion worth of dry powder raised by a lot of VC funds, including like FTX Ventures, Lightspeed, uh, you know, like just pretty much all the top funds. It's like $5 billion, which means that all that money needs to get allocated this year. So, like I'm, I'm, I'm quite bullish um, long term, and I think you know, I think digital assets will do fine this year. But I, you know, again, I'm not going to say that it's going to like moon like crazy. But I think, um, I think unlike uh, most people in the industry, I think there's like at least half of them that think that if you know stock markets crash, Bitcoin crashes. I don't necessarily agree with that. At least this year. Uh, okay. Yeah. Got it. So that's kind of I, I, like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, like, happy to like look at other people's kind of like uh, chime in as well. I I always consider cryptocurrency to be much too early to be not considered a risk on asset. Probably the most riskiest asset. I think it's like, you know, I I, I like the way I seen a lot of people invest into crypto is like you know you have your real estate you have your um you know etfs you have your you know individual kind of like stocks tech stocks whatever right yeah um and then and then after all that kind of like diversification has been done like you know you go into crypto and then after that's done you go into like the nfts right and like you get deeper and deeper and deeper Obviously, for crypto natives, it's it's more of like, you know, like, like all in or nothing. So like, you know, a lot of people go 100% into crypto. Um, but yeah, like, just in terms of like institutional kind of like diversification and portfolio management, that's what I've seen. So, you know, if the big money's moving like that, usually, you know, the there's a lot more volatility and there's a lot more. I guess like follow on for if the macro market crashes. So it's, yeah, like, I guess it's like, it's hard for me to kind of like digest the fact that like crypto will, you know, be okay. Even if the, you know, macro market kind of goes down and I don't know, like, I like, that's one of the things that I'm wondering about it as well. Like this year, it's just, can we go, you know, more up from here? Like, is there a chance for me to, us to go up or even like stay at this like current height for the macro market when everything just seems like it's it's at a peak? But I, mean, maybe, I like, like Sailor's yeah. conviction. You know, I, I you know, I, to your point about crypto, just like. Yes, you know, you know that may, may may very well be, but I really like 
like this, like when Sailor was talking on Up Only and just him, the way he was describing his like unwavering conviction and, and Bitcoin as digital land within the space. I mean, you mentioned it yeah, yourself. Yeah. Like, like Ethereum, NFTs, It's we still haven't gone through Ethereum 2.0. Like c- countries are not going to go out and say we're buying Ethereum. They're going to buy Bitcoin. And it's this kind of, you know, 21 million cap supply. People are trying to own a stake in it. And I think that it really has become, you know, that digital gold, um, so to speak. And, 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 and you know, the, the capabilities of it prove it itself, right? It, it will have the use case and still has the use case. Like you look at Venezuela and how, you know, my friend down there is telling me that they're trading B&B down there or that, you know, BTC found its use case, right, for the places where the unbanked um, aren't, you know, you know, can use a service that is just, you know, easy to understand, proof of work, out of, you know, if, if and if you were to say, look, tri- you know, crypto is, is, is still too early to call a risk on, sure, but out of all the cryptos, then it just highlights Bitcoin um, as being your best bet to get out, you know, to not be risky if you're going to be investing in crypto. So if you still want to open up that portfolio, I think. Yeah. So when it comes down to crypto, I mean, let's, I think I'm going to, I'm going to like divide Bitcoin and the other stuff for now. So at Bitcoin, I have always seen as a risk on asset, right? And the reason why I've seen it as a risk on asset for a long, long time is because of the people holding it. Right. Because the thing is, is the people who held it long time ago, like they were holding a lot of it. And then when they needed to kind of pay bills, they needed to kind of sell their Bitcoin and buy stuff. Right. Whether it's like real estate, rent, pay bills, et cetera. So over like the past five years, the people that hold Bitcoin, the percentage of Bitcoin in their kind of net worth has changed. Right. So before you have like these early Bitcoin guys, hodlers, but they still sell at the top and they kind of buy at the bottom because they kind of run the cycles. But now you have a situation where it's like a mix of people where you have a lot, some people like just traditional mainstream people that probably have like a little bit of Bitcoin and they're probably just not going to sell it. But then it doesn't like even if Bitcoin goes to zero, like it doesn't impact their financial ability to kind of pay bills. Um, also, when it comes down to institutional funds, like uh, with this exception of a few funds, like most of these funds are like allocating like a very small percentage into their portfolio, which means that even if markets crash, they're not going to kind of reduce their holdings. And that's kind of like why I'm saying like, I think that for the first time, like my assessment on the way that Bitcoin moves going forward might be a little bit different than previously but again like even last year you know up until last summer like i've always thought it was like risk on asset and again when i trade like it's purely risk on uh strategies but uh, because of the makeup there's a couple of things so number one is in terms of the different types of parties that own bitcoin as well as what percentage of their net worth is in Bitcoin that it doesn't impact their financial day-to-day obligations. Number two is actually the ability to kind of use Bitcoin as payment, right? So now that actually like with a lot of these vendors, 
you can actually park Bitcoin and use like a credit card to kind of pay your bills, right? If most of the world, it, I mean, Bitcoin only goes down if people sell it, right? So if more than 50% of the holders in Bitcoin choose to kind of just keep it, and whether they're just doing it for long term or they're just now using a credit card to kind of, you know, um, make some of those payments, whether it's like to pay their cell phone bill, et cetera. Like since like those things are kind of possible, that kind of reduces the selling pressure, like in a way. Right. So that's why I think like it's just a little bit different. It's just those kind of those two reasons. But again, I still think that it's a risk on asset. But before it's kind of like if 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 S&P goes down 10 percent, like Bitcoin goes down like 30 percent guaranteed. Right. Yeah. But the, the, the correlation, I think, starts to it's like the correlation, I think it's going to start to diminish. And I guess we'll see what happens. It's just kind of like my educated guess at the end of the day for those two reasons. It really comes down to the makeup of the holders um, as well as the ability to kind of not sell while paying your bills when it comes down to like normal people. No, I, li- I like that. I like that point a lot. The The other thing that I wanted to mention, I think that's a, that's a, a key player because I'm looking at it from the, pr- the perspective of what's the least riskiest out of crypto or what's like you know the most welcoming i guess for you know traditional capital and then the other side to that is cbdc's right and the fact that you have all these stable coins out there and kind of measuring you know the robustness of those uh you know stable coins um and the fact that you know generally you know crypto stays in a lot of crypto just stays in crypto and as more payment streams open up for digital currencies it's like, you know, do you ever have to convert back to fiat or whatever, right? And um, I think that's something interesting that also plays into what, you know, what you were just mentioning about um, being able for people being able to make payments in crypto. Um, because it's like Tether it has been through a couple court cases. USDC has been kind of like the baby of, of Coinbase and whatnot. Um, it's, uh, it'll be interesting to kind of like, put those into into you know effect with it like people were afraid of in the recent in recent times like Terra, you know breaking peg with uh their stable coin and you know that's just i think that's another interesting part of the market when you're looking at because because you you can trust the government but you really can't trust the stable coin as much as you can a government right so there's an interesting dichotomy there with how how the market moves because it's a, using stable coins versus uh, fiat in a lot of cases as, as representative numbers for the market and on the exchanges. Yeah. And again, when it comes down to wall street, like whatever they sell, it's just a product at the end of the day, right? Whether it's like stocks, um, gold, or in this case, Bitcoin. And I guess from a product perspective is that, like their wealth management teams have a very difficult time in selling gold to its customers, right? Whether it's because it's just like generational thing, but of of course now like millennials, Gen Z, you know, you you have a lot of millionaires out there, right? Like tech, tech millionaires and billionaires. And, you know, these guys just might not want gold on their portfolio, but when the Goldman Sachs says, Hey, you know, I'm buying some Apple stock, you know, should I add some gold to the, I mean, Bitcoin to the portfolio? 
then they might say yes. So, like, I just think that, again, it's, I don't know if gold, uh, Bitcoin's going to replace gold, and I don't think it has to, but I think it makes sense that gold needs to kind of make sure that it kind of basically pulls up its narrative because of the, all the conditions that are happening with all the printing money, inflation is here. Like if, if, if inflation goes to like 10%, 15% this year, and if Bitcoin goes down to 10K, like, I don't know if I'd be a believer in gold. I mean, Bitcoin ever. Right. So, right. um, so that's kind of like where it comes down to where I think like, this is the year that Bitcoin really needs to prove itself or like, I would start having doubts in Bitcoin in itself. So totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was on mute. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, we'll definitely see. I mean, like, it's just really good to. Um, I still hold positions, you know, like good amount of positions in Bitcoin and you know a crypto asset just making sure that you know you're always hedging the risk and you know like kind of like making sure that you're prepped for all scenarios um i guess that's you know like how once you get it to a certain wealth level i think that's how you gotta think in order to not just like make money but also protect your wealth so yeah i think these conversations are really good um yeah, do you guys have any other things uh, you want to discuss on macro? I know we're going a little bit over, but I, I like usually, you know, like I make a lot of investment decisions <laughs> based on these calls. So just want to make sure that we're, we're getting everything out there. One thing I will say, like in, in response to the conversation we're having is like, there's also just the fact that like, it, as a VC guy, girl, I mean, like you're, you're seeing every company you invest in, especially in the, well, obviously in the crypto space, it's always the same thing. It's when tokenization. And it's pretty clear to me that there are a lot of really positive benefits over the stock situation that just make it more beneficial for customers to have a token-based system of being able to invest within a brand organization or business. So like, I think the, the, the viewpoint that I've had since 2014 on how we see the future was that kind of everything would have its own token and that you would be able to like, you know, trade your Amazon coins for your, you know, your Facebook coins or whatever. Um, and just constantly always having this, like, you know, everything put into the market into a more significant way and having more variables kind of, you know, rotating up and down based on a company's uh, value, you know, by decreasing the amount of doors between it, like, by having, you know, open forums consistently going on rather than having a shareholder meeting, you know, every so often that, you know, no stockholder is going to or not many are going to. Yeah, it, it is definitely a lot more inclusive way to kind of like, you know, I guess, garner participation. Um, I do, do, do agree with that. I, I there is a model there somewhere, but also I, I know there's a barrier because like the in, inherently the token structure, it just, it's, it's really confusing in terms of governance. I don't think they've figured that out yet. Um, 
maybe like some of the DAOs will, but yeah, like a lot of like the stocks, I guess, like even if you're a minor stockholder, at least like the governance structure is pretty clear on like how you get involved in a company and where you stand. And, you know, in terms of like the shares, like you have, you know, um, you, you know, like you have like class A shares and, you know, like, you know, like more preferred shares and, you know, like shares that have, have like the, the, governance votes versus like shares that like the common shares that don't like still like tokens need to reach that maturity in order for for it to like for some traditional maybe companies to kind of adopt that model but yeah like i, I mean uh, i do believe that the first step is right which is getting the right people or getting people more participating in terms of you know like the news and you know like doing marketing maybe or doing you know like just having a say on what company does so yeah yeah maybe there's like a balance there in the future um a little bit early in my opinion but yeah like definitely going in the right direction even if it's not for governance right like even if it's not for governance, even if it's like for air miles right i think it's pretty clear that when you know you're uh, if if you're a company that's offering something that's on a network that's that's tradable and 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 you're offering a token not necessarily for governance in, in how the company is built, but you're offering a utility for for points on their system. You know, and you're gonna see this a lot in gaming, right? Where people are gonna be like, uh, you know, with with card games where they would buy card digital cards online like Hearthstone. And then, you know, or play an NFT game where they can actually own the cards and trade them. And I think that rewards procured by the company is going to is it has a clear market advantage for the players. So I think that that is going to spill through a lot of the companies um, because it just has it. it the, I think the market advantage wins in that scenario, um, even if it's not mm-hmm. on such a high level as as choosing the direction or, or investing because of the mess that probably is for a lot of the big tech companies out there already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely is something good to think about. Um, yeah. Uh, anyways, I think this is a pretty good place to wrap up. Um, unless like, yeah, like if you guys have like, a, like a must thing that you want to say, but yeah, like we'll, we'll post all the notes on, if you go to Telegram, we have a channel um, called M6 Bullets, where we go through all the Discord jungle and Telegram and Twitter jungle to kind of like post alpha every day. So, yeah, if you guys haven't joined, like definitely uh, subscribe there. Um, and, yeah, we post all the notes from this conversation um, every alpha leak as well. So um, 